Hey guys, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress podcast with Allison. This is the third installment of Advent with Allison. And man, it feels like a little while since I've sat down to record this series for you guys. And I know that might not feel that way to you guys because these will be coming out weekly during December. But this episode just kind of took me a little while to put together because today we're talking about humility. And when I considered and studied humility for this episode, there was just so much jumping off the pages of the Bible and it took me quite a few weeks to kind of pull together my thoughts and organize what I felt like God was trying to tell me through this passage that we're going to go over today. It just, there was so much that God was pulling out of the pages for me and little snippets of just amazing wisdom, but it took me a little while to organize that into what I wanted this episode to be for today. So I'm incredibly excited to present to you all the really cool things that God showed me. And before we get started, I wanted to just mention briefly that this whole episode is going to be about humility. I have entitled this episode, Mighty Are the Meek, because this episode is all about the amazing things that God does through those who are humble. And this is like an incredibly critical part of the entire Christmas story. And that is because Jesus is ultimate humility. He embodies humility. If humility has a definition, it is literally Jesus. So Jesus is the reason for everything. And the fact that his characteristic, one of his primary things that we can learn from him is his humility and how we should be modeling that in our own lives is the coolest, coolest thing about humility in general. And so I'm very excited for this episode, and I hope you guys will really enjoy it. So without further ado, I'm just going to jump straight into it. And like we always do with all our podcast episodes, we like to start with a definition. Humility is something that is very hard to define. At least I had a hard time defining it. I kind of combed through some passages that talk about humility and have to do with humility. And one of the things that I kind of recognized is that humility has so many definitions and yet it kind of has one idea. So I'm actually going to go through several different definitions to kind of piece together for you major concept and way that you can think about humility as we move forward because it's even something that is sometimes hard for me to wrap my mind around. So if it's sometimes hard for you to kind of pinpoint and if someone were to ask you, what is humility? You know, what do Christians think it is and how should it be lived out? I might not be the only one who's racking my brain. And if that's the way that you've felt before when you think about this concept, then you were totally not alone at all. So in short, I would say that humility is being aware of your littleness and your lowliness. So your size and impact in relationship to God and who he is and how ultimate he is. And even further than that, it means that humility is an accurate understanding of yourself. What I mean by that is that it's neither over an overestimation nor an underestimation of yourself. So any element of yourself, that's your value or your worth, which really contributes to your self-esteem, which we've talked about on this podcast a lot. It also could mean your abilities or your skills or the inherent qualities of your personality that make you uniquely you. And when I say neither of an overestimation nor an underestimation, what I am trying to communicate with that is that you have an understanding of your reality and the way that you exist in relationship to other people, the people around you, in a way that is not having delusions of grandeur that you're way better than everyone else and you're judging and looking down on others, 
but you're also not taking a position where you think that you're worth nothing or that everyone else is way better than you and that you're just useless and worthless to God because that's also an unholy way of thinking that we don't want to fall into. And I was looking at the biblical usage of this kind of concept of humility because it's throughout the biblical narrative from old through the New Testament. And what we really see is that it's having a humble opinion of yourself and an understanding of your moral littleness that you can't be great morally or be holy on your own. There's this kind of modesty and understanding that you have of yourself that then contributes into and flows straight into your actions and your behavior and other people can see that. The major implications of humility, however, is what I would say is allowing yourself to release what you think you feel you are owed or deserve from the world, even if it is accurate. There is this aspect to humility that is knowing that you're pre- you're worthy of validation or vindication in some way or retribution for something and you're not heeding that that you're allowing God to be God and to have the final word in all things when it comes to justice and holiness this is also a critical step in forgiveness which we're actually going to talk about next week so I don't want to jump into that right now but essentially it's this abandonment without any caveats of what you think you want or what you think that you deserve from the world because what humility does is it strips you of your entitlement. It strips you of what you feel like you deserve and not in a way that dehumanizes you, but in a way that helps you understand how great God is and how you as his creation can participate with him. And it has nothing to do with your glory or your fame. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is talking here about the fact that when you follow Christ, you have to deny yourself and what you think that you are owed from the world and what you deserve. And it just strips you of that entitlement. And that's really what humility and meekness is. And at the end of that passage, Jesus is saying, God is going to have the justice. He's going to repay evil. He's going to completely pay back everything bad that's been done. And so you can rest easy knowing that it's in his hands, the father who completely loves you and knows everything and is ultimately holy is going to pay back that evil. So you don't need to take that into your own hands. And with that working definition of humility, I kind of want to just mention why some of us think that being humble is not a big deal or it's not that important. And I think a big part of that is not always having a good conception of what humility is. So there's definitely a bit of ignorance, I think, that can play into our lives. And I'm saying me included, there have been a lot of times in my life I've acted as if I don't care about humility or that it's not important for me. So there's no condemnation for you. But I do think that we live our lives a lot of times not really thinking of the concept of humility. Humility requires a great deal of self-awareness. And self-awareness requires that you understand the impact that you have on others, you understand how people perceive you, and you also know how you can adjust that in healthy ways to make other people's relationships with you better and to bless other people's lives in a more effective way. That is really what self-awareness can help you with. 
And the truth is that not being humble actually has some pretty major consequences. We're told in many parts of the Bible that God opposes the proud and that he looks down on the haughty. And so a lot of times if you are operating with a sense of entitlement, you're not going to get very far. And you know, do you really want to risk the fact that the God of the universe would be against you or oppose you in what you are doing? Because there is just no way you're going to be able to do that on your own or challenge God in any way. When why would you want God to be against you when he could be for you? So really, it comes down to this, do you want to be with God or do you want to be against God? We've talked about this many times on our podcast that God is a God who wants all of you. He's all in on you and he wants you to be all in on his mission and on his vision. He doesn't just want half of you. And so, This plays right back into humility. He wants all of us. He wants our entire heart. And he wants us to be humble and come to him and say, okay, this is the realistic and accurate understanding I've had of myself and my moral lowliness and littleness, the fact that I can't measure up. But I also have a pretty accurate and under understanding of my skills and what I'm good at. And I know I'm valuable in certain areas. So I'm bringing that to you, God, and I want to be used by you. And that's what we see when we look at a Christian and holistic view of humility. This is what it can play into, which plays majorly into the Christmas story as we read it every single year and reflect on it leading up to the, you know, Jesus's birth story. And What I wanted to hone in on are these three major parts that I pulled out when I was studying humility. And these three truths are, first of all, when we are humble, God speaks to us. Second, when we are humble, God works in us. And third, when we are humble, God is glorified through us. Like I mentioned, we can't guarantee that those things are going to happen, those great things, if we don't humble ourselves. We're not going to be able to hear God speak to us. He's not going to be working in us, and he's not going to certainly not going to be glorified in us if we're arrogant or we're proud, because people don't see God in that. They just see evil, and they're turned off by that. And your witness is tarnished if you are arrogant or you judge others. And that, a lot of times, is what turned people off from the church, because they see, mm, Christians are so judgmental, and they're so haughty, and I just don't feel good enough when I'm around them. So we see that God really works when we are, he speaks to us and he works in us and he's glorified through us when we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him. The passage that we're going to get into is in the first chapter of Matthew and Matthew's account of the birth story leading up, some details leading up to the birth story. What we are going to do today is we are going to pack humility from the perspective of Joseph, Jesus's father. Now, What I want to make very clear is that Jesus is ultimate humility. He embodies humility, like I mentioned at the top of this episode. When we talk about Advent, the only reason we have Advent, the only reason we exist and are here for Jesus is because of Jesus's humility. So it's not about Joseph's humility being the reason that we celebrate this season. That is not at all the message I'm sending. However, I wanted to take a new angle on humility and help us see the Christmas story in a bit of a fresh way. I don't frequently see Joseph's story being talked about from this kind of deep dive angle. I often see that Joseph is mentioned as a humble and a just man. He is righteous in God's eyes. But a lot of times that is skipped forward over so we can talk about Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's amazing and wonderful. But I think that sometimes it's hard to see our human selves and, and kind of where we fit into the Christmas story and how humanity fits into the Christmas story when it's 
obviously when it's rightly about Jesus. And sometimes we just don't see that humility in the broken people that God uses. So I wanted to pull out and talk about Joseph specifically because I think he's a great example of how God can speak to us and work in us and is glorified through us when we choose to humble ourselves the way that Joseph did. So we're going to be kind of looking at the last few verses of Matthew and focusing in on what can Joseph's life teach us about how God works. So first, I'm going to start in verse 18 of the first chapter of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found she was to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we're going to stop here. That's the first two verses of the passage, just verses 18 and 19. Now, I just want to kind of sit here and think about who Joseph was. What we know about him, although brief, the Bible says he was a just man and he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. I want us for a second to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. The Bible says he was righteous. This means that he followed all the Jewish law and tradition and found favor in God's eyes. There were hundreds of Jewish laws, and he likely studied and memorized the Torah and went to Hebrew school. He likely followed all of God's law and tradition and celebrated the holidays and the ways that he was meant to. It says he, you know, he was a man who was good and was just. And I think that a lot of times we can think ourselves of this way. We can kind of think of ourselves as, you know, we're not that bad. We've never murdered anyone. We've never hurt anyone to an incredible extent. You know, we we lie sometimes or we do things here and there. But, you know, we're not all that bad. You know, I've followed most of the laws and I'm a, I'm a pretty decent person. And these things in our lives happen that they just really crush us. They come along and they crush us and we feel like we don't deserve for that to have happened to us. Can you imagine? imagine Joseph's deep disappointment when his expectations for marriage and his family are just absolutely crushed. Can you imagine being engaged to this woman and you're excited to get married and you're excited to start your life and you find out, well, from Joseph's perspective, oh, well, they cheated on me because she's pregnant and she can't hide that. Can you imagine how that would have felt? This was a huge step in his life. This was a huge step for him. He was going out on his own. Essentially, he just, you know, he finds out that his bride to be cheated on him. Can you imagine how you would feel or what you would want to say to this person or how you would react or respond, you know, you would feel crushed. At least I would. And what we need to understand is that what Joseph was likely experiencing is that his hopes and dreams are being shattered in front of his eyes. And I hope and I pray that most of us will never or that none of us will ever experience this this level of deep betrayal or brokenness in our lives and our marriages. So I pray that never happens or that we never have to relate to that feeling that Joseph had. But I want us to try to put ourselves in his shoes because we often have this idea that we don't deserve you know, bad things that come our way or that, you know, God is allowing this thing to happen in my life that I don't deserve or, I, you know, I didn't earn that. I've, I've been a pretty decent person. So these horrible things are happening or tragedy is striking. And I just, I'm, I'm mad at God because I don't want things like to be this way in my life. I can imagine that the fleshly part of Joseph reacted and felt that way immediately when he found out that his, you know, his to-be wife was pregnant. But the Bible tells us that Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame. 
Now, we know in this time that women could be stoned for adultery. So, if he wanted his validation, his vindication, his retribution and revenge, he definitely could have had it. He could have had her stoned and put to death and he could have moved on with his life and felt his merry way and said, you know what, she deserved it and I deserve to have vindication and revenge. I think there is a big part of us, and I'm saying for this myself as well, that feels like we deserve some kind of revenge for the things that have happened to us or the way that people have mistreated us in our lives. And this really speaks volumes about our lack of humility in our lives because we see here that Joseph is a just man. And although he you know, he probably deserved to be able to have Mary put to death. He didn't choose that. He said, you know, I'm going to quietly divorce her. I'm not going to put her to shame. I don't want her life to be destroyed. I really just, this is coming out of a heart of really honestly wishing the best for that person, even though they've hurt you and wounded you deeply. Joseph said, I'm I'm not going to partake in that kind of revenge. I'm not interested in that because I know where that's going to lead. That's not going to make me happy. That's not going to result in what I want. And so, you know, I'm just going to cut her off and I'm going to allow her to move on with her life quietly. I don't want to cause disruption in her life. And it would be great if we had that kind of concept with people that hurt us and that we really just wish the best for them. I think there are times when we do, but I think that there are times when we really do want to see God just, you know, wreck them. We want to see that God will convict them and correct them or put something in their life that changes them completely when really the work needs to be done in our lives and our hearts to change how we respond to people that hurt us. And I think Joseph is a great example to follow when it comes to that, that we would be on, you know, we pray, I pray that I would be unwilling to put other people to shame who have hurt me. I don't think I'm always there. I think there are moments where I, God helps me, I listen to the Holy Spirit and I'm great. There are definitely moments where I'm not that, but I pray that we would be a people who are unwilling to put others to shame, regardless of how deeply they have wounded us. So, in all of this, in all of this pain that he was likely going through, all this conflict that was likely going on in him, God speaks to Joseph in this humility that he has. Verse 20, we're going to move on here in the next couple verses. So it says, but as he, that's referring to Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love this part of the Christmas story because we see that in the midst of his turmoil, he's probably experiencing all this conflict, the Bible says, as he considered these things. So he was likely just consumed with thoughts of, you know, what am I going to do about this? And probably feeling really hurt, God appears to him in a dream. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. I want to full stop right there before God even gets into the main content of what he has to say and the main message of what he has to say to Joseph in that moment. He says, Joseph, son of David. This is amazing. This is profound in and of itself. So I don't want us to skip over it and skip straight to the prophecy. He calls Joseph by his name. He says, son of David. And in essence, what he's saying right here is, I know you. I see you. I see your brokenness and your hurt. Joseph, I acknowledge you. I know who you are because I created you. And I mean, that in itself is just 
crazy. And it's amazing that when God speaks to us, he calls us by name. He knows you uniquely, He just the way he knew Joseph. And he has plans for you just the way he had plans for Joseph. The God of the universe wants to be intimately involved with your life. And he knows you deeply. He created you and he knows your name and he will call you by that name. And he wants to incorporate you into his amazing plans. And that in itself is just crazy to me. The fact that you could be called by your name and just be known so deeply. Your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your joys, all of those things wrapped into one. God takes it and accepts it and he calls you by name. And he goes on to say, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And I love this. I love that the first thing he does is he comforts Joseph. He says, I know you and don't be afraid because what's going on right now is actually me in your life. And I know that it's going to be challenging, but he says, don't fear for that which is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, that's me. That tragedy in your life or that thing that is hurting so deeply and that betrayal that you feel, I'm in it. I am in it. That is the Holy Spirit and I'm working in it. I'm part of that. And I am all in on you being part of my plan. And I think that is so beautiful because while there are things in our lives that are incredibly tragic and painful and I can't even imagine and I don't know all the things that you've been through in your life, you listening to this at this current moment, I know that God has been there for you and he's been in it. Whether you saw him or not, he's calling you by your name and saying, hey, I am right here and don't be afraid to walk forward into that challenging situation in your life because I'm in it. Now, what I don't want you to hear me say with that is that if there is perpetual abuse or pain or an unhealthy relationship or circumstance that you're in, that you need to stay in that. That is not what I am communicating with that. But what I am saying is that God is there in the pain and he's there in the joy and he's in both things. So you don't have to feel like you're abandoned when you're going through something really, really painful and hard. You don't have to feel like God has abandoned you because he actually says that just at the end of the, that verse of 23, he says God's God with us. What I want to point out here as well is the verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That actually comes straight from Isaiah. That's from Isaiah 7, 14, which says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a messianic prophecy. We talked about messianic prophecies in the last episodes. If you missed that, be sure to make sure that you listen to that episode as well. But what I want to get with this get out with pointing this out is that God laid the foundation for Joseph's life so long before that. He knew exactly how Jesus was going to be born, who was going to be his adopted father. That foundation was laid as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden because we talked about that messianic prophecy as well, that he will strike the heel. That is so crazy to know that God laid down the foundation of our lives before we were even born. As he was creating the world, he already knew that you were going to exist, that he was going to create you, and he had a great purpose and plan for you. And how comforting is that to know just the way that he spoke to Joseph with such kindness, but also with such authority, is the same way that God talks to you. He says, hey, I know you, and I'm going to call you by name, tell you not to be afraid, but I'm also going to remind you who I am and how great I am, and that I have the power to do amazing things in your life. Would you only listen to me? Especially with Joseph, because we see that 
he was a humble man, that he lived in this state of humility. Doesn't mean that he was perfect. No, he was not perfect because we know he was a fallible man. He was a human. But he lived in this state of humility that prepared him to hear from God because we know that he was a just man and that he had been growing up in Jew under Jewish tradition and law. That it's really hard to hear God when we're not being humble. God will still speak when you're not being humble and he's going to call you out and say, you know, I want you to walk out of that thing that you've been believing or whatever circumstance he doesn't want you to be in anymore. So he does. Sometimes we're arrogant and he completely just knocks us off our feet and that happens. But it's way harder in my experience to hear and obey God when we're not being humble, when we have this arrogant proud sense of ourselves and our understanding when we don't think that God knows what he's doing or we approach him in a negative way, it is extremely hard to hear from him and to obey him. And by the way, the Hebrew words listen, hear, and obey are all intertwined directly. So you can't be obeying God if you're not hearing from him. If you're not obeying him, then you're not living in your purpose for him in your purpose for him. And if you're not living in the purpose that he's laid out for you, then you're not really contributing to this amazing plan that he has for you. That means that you're walking in a way that he doesn't want you to walk in. I want us all to be humble. I want us to have and approach God with that air of humility and knowing our moral littleness so that we can hear from him, so that we can then obey him, so that we can then be a part of his amazing plan. And were we to abandon this idea of humility and just approach God with this proud and arrogant way and thinking that he's not good or he doesn't know what he's doing or he's dropped the ball or he's withholding from us. We're never going to experience that amazingness that he has planned for our lives and that healing that he has planned for our lives because we're not living in it. And what that really comes down to is the fact that when we're humble, God works in us. So that's the second point, the one that I mentioned a little bit earlier, that when we are humble, God works in us. And he worked in Joseph. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What we see here is a complete 180 from what Joseph was originally intending to do. First, he was saying, you know what, I'm going to divorce her. And just a couple verses later, after God has spoken to him, says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. This is a complete 180 from what culture would have told him to do. Culture would have told him to stone her and to abandon her and to let her experience the full extent of the evil that she had supposedly committed. But what we see is when we humble ourselves, when Joseph humbled himself, he was able to completely pivot and his life changed forever. We see a complete transformation in his plans for his life. And the exact same thing happens to us. When we choose to humble ourselves, God works in us. He will completely change our lives and he is going to do that for the best. Honestly, this created a change in Joseph's heart that was critical in saving his family's life later. We're going to skip a little bit ahead because we have been in the first chapter of Matthew, but I want to skip a little bit ahead to the middle of the second chapter of Matthew. We're going to pick up in verse 13. And it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. 
this is crazy. I mean, the crazy thing is the fact that Joseph decided to follow God all that time ago before Jesus was even born and that change in his heart and that willingness to listen to God and to also follow in the steps that God was leading before him resulted in him being able to save his family. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit worked in that and did that through him. That wasn't Joseph on his own work or by his own strength. But when Joseph humbled himself and learned to hear from God when he speaks, that saved them. And the same thing happens for us. It's incredible the fact that when we decide to listen to God, we end up walking in his plans. We end up avoiding pain. We end up being saved and rescued from situations that are negative. I mean, one thing that's always been crazy to me is that there are so many times that God has said no to me in my life that I've been angry at him, that I've been upset and I've said, God, why aren't you letting me move into this circumstance or, you know, change what I'm experiencing? I just want you to say yes to this plan that I've made for myself. Why won't you let me? And a lot of times he's saying no because he's trying to save and rescue you from something. He is trying to prevent you from going down a road that is going to be painful for you and result in unnecessary strain and harm to your life and to your soul. When we humble ourselves the way that Joseph did, when we listen to his voice, when he speaks to us, he then works in us. He pivots us. He changes us. He completely puts us on a new path the way that Joseph could have gone down the divorce route and he completely went down the marriage route and look where it resulted in. This amazing miracle of a child that he got to experience firsthand because he he listened to God. And the third thing that I want to draw out of this is that in all of this, that means that God was glorified in Joseph and through Joseph. This is the third point that I mentioned at the top of the episode. When we humble ourselves, we're glorified in him. When we look back at his life, do we ask ourselves, oh, like how did God play a part in Joseph's life? Of course not. Of course not. Rather, we celebrate the fact that Joseph played a part in God's story and it's all about God. It's all about Jesus after all. The the fact that Joseph obeyed resulted in God working through him and through Mary as well to bring Jesus into the world, which is incredible. The fact that Joseph protected Mary and helped her in all of the challenges that she experienced, social and physical, because of Jesus coming through her. That is the incredible thing that the Savior of the world came through this family, this small family that could have been broken and probably experienced a lot of challenge in their life. When we make that intentional choice to recognize how little we are and how, and to live with an accurate understanding ourselves, which is neither an over or underestimation of our value and of our skills, God can use exactly that. He can use the skills that you have, the self-awareness to grow your relationship with other people and help reach other people for his purpose and for his plans and for his glory. You cannot underestimate the things that are going, that could happen in your life as a result of you humbling yourself, going to apologize to someone that you've wronged or writing a relationship or deciding not to get angry at somebody when they wrong you or treating other people with fairness and kindness, even when they have not done the same thing to you. God is going to start working in you to be glorified in you. And other people are going to see that. Other people are going to take notice when you don't act like the world, when you don't follow the culture strains of how you should act, when you don't seek revenge on people or 
bring pain onto people that have hurt you. People are going to see that the same way they likely saw it in Joseph, the fact that they probably thought he was crazy for still going through with marrying Mary. They probably likely thought, you know, you can't trust her. You have no idea where she's been. But the truth is that when we start acting different from the world, the world takes notice. And what is the best part about that? Not that you get any fame, but that people are pointed to Jesus. People are pointed to God because they think that person can't possibly, as apart from God, that person couldn't possibly want to do that or live in that way. And when they see you do that, they see Jesus in you, which points to this main part is that God is glorified in you, that people see him as a result of you choosing to humble yourself. It doesn't mean that you've done it on your own strength. No, because neither did Joseph. You can see here the Holy Spirit is woven all throughout this. The Holy Spirit saw this thing through from beginning to end the same way that he'll see your life through and your sanctification through. So it's not on your own strength. But how amazing is it that when you make that choice to be humble and to hear God speak and listen to him and obey him and to work and walk in his plans, people see God in you and they're pointed to the ultimate savior of the world, the Jesus who came and humbled himself, came to the earth and took on our flesh, bore our flesh, took on our suffering and pain, and died for our sins, rose again three days later for you and for me. When you truly recognize that and have that picture and vision in mind, then we don't have an excuse for not acting in humility or for having a meek nature about us. We don't. We as Christ followers do not have an excuse to not live in, in humility. And Paul tells us this in Philippians 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being one of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen where he says here, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It all comes full circle here. And Paul is telling us Jesus was ultimate humility. So you don't have an excuse not to be humble. You don't have an excuse not to treat other people as better than yourselves and to look for their own interests, their interests just as much as you're looking out for yourself. Because what does that result in? God's glorification. Like I said, that third point, he says, God has exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that everyone would bow and praise him. That God is ultimately glorified when we're humble. That is the main part about, I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. The fact that you get to partner with God and you get to point people to Jesus. I mean, what could be better than pointing people to Jesus through your humility because they see him in you because you are so radically different from the other people around you. Because you are so significantly the other way from what culture would have told you to be when people hurt you or when things don't turn out for you. So my question to you in all of that is, is there an area of your life that you need to submit in humility to God? Is there something that you need to offer up to him and something that maybe you've been holding back or you feel like 
you deserve retribution or you deserve something better or you feel like God's holding out on you? Is there something that you just feel like God is withholding or hasn't made made accessible to you? That comes back to our very first episode from Advent. The ultimate lie that Satan told Eve is that God was withholding from her or that there was nothing, there was something that was better than what God had made accessible to her. If you've been believing that liar, you need to submit in humility something in your life to God, whether it's a relationship or whether it's your career or something that it has just not turned out the way that you wanted or a tragedy or anger that you have at God. It could be any amount of things. I mean, for me, it's been different things over the course of my life that I felt like, you know, I deserve something better or something easier. And I've had to submit that in humility to God and God humbled me even when I wasn't humble. So if you're in this area and you're just feeling like you need help becoming humble, ask God to help you with that because he's going to humble you in a lot of ways. And it's going to be a big ask, but he can do amazing things and he can transform your heart completely and he'll work in you just the way that he did in Joseph. This amazing story that we can see just from those verses from from first chapter of Matthew and a little bit from the second chapter of Matthew, we can see that humility shines as just a complete star of the show and humility ultimately is Jesus. So we see Jesus shine all over the story, the richness of Jesus's humility, the amazing example that Joseph provides us and the way that we can really just submit those things in our lives that are challenging to God and he's going to speak to us, he's going to work in us and he's going to be glorified in us should we only choose to humble ourselves and seek after him and he can change everything i hope that you enjoyed this episode i hope that it gave you a little bit to think about and that hope helped you to kind of approach the christmas story in a fresh way again like i said jesus is ultimate humility but i thought that joseph was a great way to kind of look at this in a new way but it's the same story but with a new angle this christmas story is a kaleidoscope there are endless ways to look about it it is an incredible piece of rich literature when it comes to Matthew and Luke's accounts, which I both love, but especially with Matthew and kind of highlighting this humility for us. So next week, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, which is a really hard one, but I wanted to talk about humility first because humility leads straight into forgiveness. I think that we have to have a mindset of humility to be able to forgive people. It's kind of a prerequisite the way that I kind of think about the way that the Bible talks about humility. They go hand in hand, so make sure to tune in for next week's episode about forgiveness. We learn about the richness of Jesus's forgiveness and how we as Christians can forgive other people who have hurt us and also seek forgiveness from people that we have hurt as well. That is what I have for today's episode. I pray that this blessed you in some way. Make sure to tune in for next week and I'll see you next time.